Welcome to Live Well, Be Well, a show to help high performers improve their health and well-being. This is an excerpt from my conversation with one of the UK's leading psychotherapists, Julia Samuel, who I spoke with about family dynamics and therapy. I think that's the biggest part, isn't it, is is self-compassion through so much of this work. It's a really big part to play. And you do have your 12 touchstone points right at the end of the book. And self-compassion is one of the leading ones. And I love you write, which has literally said in my mind, shitty committee. (laughs) It's one of my, it's like, I was like, didn't expect that to come out of your mouth at all. But could you explain a little bit about this? Because I think it's such a, it resonated with me so much on how we can actually inflict a lot of pain during that one. Actually, we need to hold a lot of space for that self-compassion. Yeah. So I'm glad you were surprised. You know, you can't have rules for families. People want rules because then they think, well, if I'll tick off every bit of the rule, then I'm perfect. And none of us are perfect. So that, And it isn't a place to even try and aim for. But I did 12 touchstones for the well-being of families, which are kind of attitudes and behaviours and ways of being that help support you and your family, given that we're all kind of doing the best we can and, and having hard times a lot of the time or some of the time, whenever we do. And I think one of the complexities of suffering is that when we're hurting, we often hurt people And then we often turn that hurt and rage against ourselves. And we have Mm -hmm. what I call a shitty committee where we then attack ourselves like, you idiot, why are you doing it like this? You should be okay by now. You're such a fool. Stop making such a fuss. Get on. Whatever all those critical voices are saying. And that just kind of compounds your suffering and gives you a narrow and narrow window of connecting to others, which is the place where we heal is by the love and connection to others. So if we can kind of open our window, allow ourselves all of our different feelings, both the fury that we feel, the rage that we feel, the jealousy, the envy and the love and the the sort of humour of dark humour often in grief, if we can turn to ourselves with self-compassion, with as much kindness towards ourselves as we would to another, then that is releasing and opens us. And then we are kind of window to ourselves is bigger for feeling. We calm down, the threat system calms down. And when we calm down, we can connect to our heart and the thing that matters most whenever we are suffering is love. The love of the person maybe who's died, if they're bereaved, or the love of the people we're furious with, and the love of others and the love for ourselves. And so it brings me to like the next conversation, which is communication, which I think is really, really important. Um, because a lot of us can shy away from conflict. Um, I think it's a really natural human emotion, but it's also really important to, I think, address that head on. But it can be really difficult to have these conversations, especially in family dynamics. What advice would you give to help explore these difficult conversations, especially in family settings? I mean, I think the the place to start from is to recognise that every family will have conflict, that we will all fight. Because yeah. where, you know, as I said before, where you love most, you hate most and you yeah. have your biggest response. 
in some yeah. ways indifference is the opposite of love not hate and that as a way of communicating in families a kind of attitude is to allow difference um and to recognize that seven people can have seven different views and there is no one right one but to allow people to have their collective views with a kind of sense of collaborative power that everybody has agency and can be heard probably the biggest kind of skill in communication is the capacity to listen to listen fully to what the person is saying to listen to what is going below the waterline what they're feeling where they're coming from to look at their visual cues and then to reflect and let them know that you've heard what they've said and then you once people feel heard they feel kind of received enough to be able to listen then to what you have to say and i think often we transmit so fast that the person doesn't feel heard and then that's when you can have an escalation of i'm right you're right i'm right you're right but also you will still have fights and what i another of my touchstones is you know fighting productively and how you fight makes a difference so not using every past fight as weapons of mass destruction but to fight specifically about i'm really upset that you didn't take the bins out or whatever the fight is not like you never bloody take the bins out you're always so fucking lazy you know because <laughs> that you could there's no there's no way you can kind of deal with that um but the big thing after fights is repair this capacity to repair after the rupture and to go slow together and have a level of intimacy about what was the fight really about can we understand each other better what was really going on um and it's very rarely about the bins it's much more about connection attention um feeling loved feeling safe feeling known and i think often a fight can you can actually once you've repaired you can feel closer to someone and so fights can be incredibly important in the kind of depths of understanding because if you really know that you can have a fight and feel closer you build a lot of trust and a lot of value in that other person mm. um in mm. your family and that's as true within siblings as it is with parents and their children and i think the sibling relationship which i talk quite a lot about in every family has a story is often underestimated how influential and how shaping it is to each one's lives. Do you think there's a real difference between being the older sibling and the younger sibling? Birth order has a yeah, definitely has a role to play. It's definitely an influence, isn't it? You know how crushing for the eldest child to have someone come and steal their spot. Whereas the youngest child's like, "Hey, I didn't know any different. I've got all these people who can play with me or hit me, depending on what their response to me is." What are some of the factors that contribute to some families that thrive through adversity? or others fragment? Because that's quite an interesting scenario. There's some families seem to really thrive through this and stick together, and there's others that can break apart. And what do you think are the factors that really play out there? I think I think a lot of it is this flexibility and the capacity to mm. allow difference, allow everybody to ha- be themselves, that there isn't one way to solve a problem or one way of being given an event that's happened to the whole family. So allowing difference I think is a big thing and knowing h- about how to express love. So love is a verb. It's not just a thing I love you. It's like 
loving in action, loving by stepping back, loving by um, letting go, loving by repairing even when you fucking hate them, loving, <laughs> you know, loving doing the things you don't want to do because you love them. Um, all mm -hmm. of those ways of loving are what allow families to thrive in adversity. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, isn't it, love? It is. It can be one of the most beautiful things on the planet and one of the most painful at the same time. Loving is not a soft skill. It is hard. No. You know, we see mm -hmm. it on Disney movies and, uh, you know, happy ever afters. But living loving is probably the most difficult thing we do. Thanks so much for listening. To hear the full episode, there's a link in the description.